All righty, folks. Welcome in. Welcome back to Polar FC. Uh, Jacob here with Vandy uh, and KOR, and we got Chris back this week. So welcome back, Chris. I know he's been super busy covering Rutgers basketball and, and all of that stuff, but we're happy that he was able to, to find some time to be back with us this week. Uh, I'm going to throw it over to Chris. Chris, you want to do our social media plug? I figured probably makes more sense for you to do it right i mean it's the least i could do after i missed work for a week um so you could follow us on twitter at polar fc pod um we're gonna have our latest episode and all that on there and also if you have any recommendations or things you want us to talk about just add us on twitter dm us do whatever you want um and you know we'll we'll try to work it in best we can we are a show of the people after all for the people by yes. the people mm-hmm. of course so we got a full full, uh, full schedule of stories up today, of course. Uh, we're going to start it off with women's soccer. I know we haven't talked a ton about women's soccer on the pod yet. Of course, we've not had that many episodes either. So, But I'm excited to, to get into it, to get um, – just to bring it up, I know there were a couple stories that I saw in the news the past couple weeks about uh, women's soccer, but I kind of wanted to start – um, in the U.S., with the U.S. in mind, I mean, just thinking about women's soccer, thinking about, you know, how the U.S. has some of the top, top players internationally um, and the, just the, the potential for, uh, you know, women's soccer as a league um, in the U.S., just, just it, it intrigues me. I definitely like to see some of these stories coming out about the uh, investment value, about various things, but uh, before we get into some of the more specific stuff, love to get your guys' thoughts just on, you know, women's soccer in, in general, maybe more at the U.S. level, whatever you guys feel. Anything? Anything? Anyone Anyone want to contribute here? Should I go into the next, uh, our first story? I mean, something I did see in the news was just uh, uh, the petitioning for equal wages in women's soccer again. Um, Rapino, uh, was, was, was the person that made the headlines and yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it's, it's time for them to, to level the playing field out. I mean, you do have women's Chelsea FCs and what, what have you, you know, PSGs and premier clubs with, with women's teams that people have no idea about, but these players are world-class. These players are really good. And I feel like the, the, the amount of money that they make, it's like sometimes they need to have second jobs and that's crazy to think about, you know? So that's one thing I can say. I mean, maybe it doesn't get to what Jacob wanted to talk about necessarily, but I do necessarily, I, I do think it's necessary for us to, to mention that the wage gap is just, it's getting too extreme. And watching the Women's World Cup and watching uh, some of these big sides play each other. They're playing some good football, whatever, however, which way you want to look at it. Yeah. And I, I think to build off of that point, I think really the root issue here, going back to the pay and you know the treatment um, and I'm not saying it's fair, but that's kind of like the root reason behind it is because women's soccer, unfortunately does not, with the exception of the women's world cup um, does not really make a lot of money as is. So I think if you want to really solve the equal pay issue, the more sustainable way to do that is to create interest in the women's game. And I think in that respect, they're making a lot of progress. You know, 
Um, the women's national team in the United States women's national team has always been popular ever since they won the world cup back in 99. Um, obviously we all remember the last world cup was a big deal. The last two world cups actually um, were a big deal. United States winning both of those. Um, so I think the question now is, and this is something that MLS has sort of figured out how to do to a better extent is how do we take that interest that comes every four years when uh, the women's world cup is held? How do we take that and carry it over to um to you know watching it on a regular basis like the nwsl um unlike mls nwsl has some of the world-class players in the world um and you know doesn't get a lot of attention even though it probably should also worth noting they were the first sport to successfully restart after covid shut everything down um something they also don't get a lot of credit for um so i think it's a question of branding i think it's a question of you know just outreach um, I think that it's more popular now than it was five, 10 years ago. Um, and that's good, but I feel like that's really where the progress can be made, especially in Europe where, you know, you would think it would take more of a hold because soccer in general is more popular and there aren't a ton of other sports, but for whatever reason, it just, until now, it's not really taking hold. And now you see premier league teams starting to invest in it. I think that's going to play a big role. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point, especially with the potential, right? Cause if you're thinking, you know, can we leverage our, our homegrown talent? We're thinking about, you know, U.S. women's soccer, one of the top, top clubs in the world. Um, and so it's kind of, I guess, a little unfortunate to see some of our best players go overseas and play, you know, in, in European uh, women's clubs uh, for different European uh, overall soccer clubs just, you know, the, to lose some of our top talent to go play overseas is, is unfortunate. I mean, it's nice, obviously, when you think of development, if it's a more competitive league and you, and you want to spread the growth of the game. But I'd love for the, the uh, women's soccer leagues in the U.S. to really uh, pop off and, and, you know, keep some of our, our stars here at home. And that's why I kind of was excited to see this story. Uh, last week, it was talking about how um, – the lead investor uh, for Angel City FC, uh, Alexis oh Ohanian. I think he's also the uh, Reddit co-founder for those keeping track at home. But he was talking about how women's soccer is just a really good investment and possibly even a better investment than the MLS here in the U.S. Um, just because there's so much potential for growth um, and there's so much talent here in the U.S. and you know, they're trying to build off some of the success that the WNBA had uh, while trying to, you know, make something that's popular, make something that, you know, brings soccer and brings women's soccer to the uh, homes of uh, the Americans. Yeah, I feel like the, all the points that you guys had mentioned about, um, I'd say, number one, the attention that um, the women's soccer sport as a whole I would say deserves um obviously we've seen on an international scale a lot of people watching um women's soccer and rooting for whatever international team that they may be from but in general um we've seen them be in the spotlight and I think the approach that's being taken nowadays in terms of giving you know at least a thought to women's soccer being in the forefront of all um you know in the same category as all major sports, I would say, um, is probably right. 
and des- more, more so I think it's deserved. And um, I think we've seen a lot of the um, United States women's international players uh, kind of stand up for that stance. And that's because they've been in, like you said, Chris, in the last two World Cup, they've been in the spotlight for it. And they're using their platform and I think for the right cause. And um, I think it's only time before, you know, it spreads uh, domestically in the U S with the NWSL. And uh, you know, we have domestic leads in Europe as well. So um, I think it's just time that we basically show them the respect that they deserve. Um, And they're, uh, you know, performing at a professional level, just like the men's just not deserving of, you know, the high level marketing uh, that the women's um, soccer leagues around the world already have, but, you know, maybe if that does change a little bit, there will be a lot more young girls, you know, going out there to be professional uh, women's soccer players or just a lot more fans that are attracted to, like you guys said, watching women's soccer daily rather than just when it comes to an international scale. Yeah. And to build off of that point, I think, um, you know, what you said about the NWSL being a potentially better investment, it makes sense because MLS and NWSL are both rapidly growing, but, um, NWSL is starting from a lower point. So the, there's more of a gain there from a financial perspective. You also have the whole branding aspect of, you know, Alex Morgan, household name, Carly Lloyd, household name, Megan Rapino, household name. Like these are people who, you know, kind of like Olympic athletes. I mean, they are Olympic athletes, but you get what I mean. Um, they kind of built a brand for themselves. And, you know, the big difference with MLS is you, you're basically selling like the experience of going to the stadium, which um, obviously is different now because of COVID. But before you, you're talking about like the experience of going to an MLS game, you got like, depending on what market you're in, anywhere between 20 to 60,000 fans, um, you know, singing all that. And, you know, there's the community aspect of it, but you're not seeing the best players in the world, which is okay. But um, NWSL has that unique advantage. And, you know, I feel like if I'm being completely honest, I think women's soccer is the most popular women's sport in the sense that more people care about women's soccer during the World Cup than care about women's basketball during the Olympics or or like, I mean, women's hockey during the Winter Olympics got a bit of popularity too, but nothing really compares to women's soccer. And I think that that's, you know, something that I think has the potential to really grow. Um, and also you notice the NWSL, has a TV deal now with uh, CBS and CBS All Access or whatever they call it now. Um, they've got more exposure. They've got more um, more teams. Uh, the teams that are already there are getting more well-established, like um, Sky Blue FC, the New Jersey team, is moving to Red Bull Arena. Um, so that's obviously a big deal. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential for it, honestly. I think that – it's a great investment um, if you're co- um, comparing it to the MLS, simply because if you think about the MLS, they usually have the big names that they usually have are out of their primes or are former European stars like Ibrahimovic came here when he was like 33. Kaka came here well after his his prime. Rooney, <laughs> you know, well into his mid 30s. And what uh, names name I could just go down the line with names but when you think about the the potential for women's uh uh the growth of a women's soccer league in america you have to think it's high simply because america is the best women's soccer country in the world um 
when you think about the men's side, I mean, the, the talent pool is usually not in America. Like the best players in the world aren't going to be playing in the MLS. That's just a fact. And if you're a good player in the MLS and you're a good young player, you're not going to stay there for more than five years because you're probably going to be transferred out of the league. So if you think about the talent pool that they can get, uh, you can have these uh, women's players from the best college teams in America uh, get drafted in the NWSL and you keep growing it from that and you uh, keep the home talent um, in America and you you go off the basis that we are the best producing talent um, worldwide, then you know that the league has potential to grow and have has potential to gain these personalities that can be likable and gain, you know, gain the, the skill players. And that may attract players uh, from other countries to come over here and play internationally. So I do think um, I would agree with um, Ohanian that the, the investment um, in women's soccer in America is a way better investment than than you would in the MLS, even though both are growing. Yeah, brought up some some really good points here. Definitely the potential for growth with some of the top talent being in the U.S. I, I mean, I'd love to see you know us be like the uh, the the I guess the opposite of what's happening in men's soccer, where you know all the good players in the U.S. want to go to Europe and play on the big stage. I'd like it to be the opposite, where you know all the best European players, like man, I really want to go to the U.S. and play uh, for for the women's leagues and and kind of have us be the the top stage that that would be really really enjoyable i think um kr also brought up kind of a really good idea i think is respect um so definitely there has to be some level of respect uh in order for this to work out and that kind of ties into another story that i had seen this week um it was with the uh gladback uh under 23 coach um and this kind of made a couple headlines here um, where he was ordered to train with the women's team as a punishment for unsporting behavior during a match. So, you know, he had, he had actually he'd spoken out against the referee. The club wanted to punish him, so they fined him. But they also, um, you know, ordered him to coach the women's team for six sessions. And I know that uh, a lot of people in, in world football, and especially people with uh, who are, who've been paying attention to uh, women's soccer uh, were, were definitely uh, a little bit disappointed in the decision of the club to do that and to treat uh, the coaching the women's team as kind of a punishment for this guy. I would love to spend five minutes with whoever in uh, the Monkin Gladbach front office thought this was a good idea. Like, I mean, it's disrespectful to the women's team, which is part of your organization, first and foremost. But um, it's also like if even if, you know, you don't care about that, which, you know, if you don't care about like not respecting the women's team, like you know, you've got other issues. But um, putting all that aside, just from a public relations standpoint, like you couldn't have imagined that that would have gone over well. And there's no real way to spin that. You're basically just saying like the women's team is a punishment for the people who have to work with it. It's not as good. And, you know, that's just, it's just opening up a whole can of worms. So the fact that this happened in 2021 is just shocking to me, if I'm being completely honest with you. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, what did they even think? They're like, oh, okay, we're punishing this guy to, to go and, you know, coach a women's team. Like, and 
Like, what do they expect to get in return, right? Like, oh, okay, this guy isn't going to mess up. Like, that was all going to fall in their head regardless. It's going to look bad regardless. And I don't even know why you would pick coaching a women's team as, a, I don't know, like a bad thing. You're still a coach. He's just still doing what he does every single day. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I completely agree with Chris. Like, from a PR standpoint, it was just a blunder. And I just don't expect, you know, things to... I guess I never expected it to be resolved this way. And the fact that this is the precaution or the measure that they did take, that's just ridiculous. Uh, and if anybody else follows suit, you know, like, and, and does this again, I, I don't even know. Like, they, they deserve to get probably, like, fired. Whoever is making these decisions need to get fired. But that's the thing, though. It's like we have – I feel like every once in a while we have these repeating narratives of, women being discriminated in some way or fashion, and there are no real repercussions for it. So uh, we'll talk about it for a week or two, and then it'll just you know, go under the rug as it usually always does. I feel like there needs to be a point where everybody just says, all right, enough is enough. Um, we, we all recognize that they needed to be treated equally, but if we just say these things and make these reposts, we're not really doing enough to have the change that we, that we talk about so much. Yeah, certainly. I, to add to that, I'd say it's good at the very least that we're talking about it, that that we that that the community, the soccer community around the world has highlighted this and made headlines. And we were saying, look, like this is just not the way to go about things, not the way that things should be done. And obviously, Vandy, you're right. It needs to take, you know, the next step to, you know, making sure that things like this don't happen again more in the future. Um, and thinking about, you know, how we're going to to treat teams that, you know, will will kind of disrespect their their women's team like that. OK, so if does anyone have any closing thoughts on this? I'm just going to move away towards the uh, Champions League draw next. You know, I just hope that women's soccer is able to continue to grow. Um, you know, I should probably check out an NWSL match, given that there's a team that plays 20 minutes away from me at Red Bull Arena. So. Um, now that fans are starting to make their way back in the stadiums after COVID, that'll be on my uh, checklist for sure. All right. Good words to go by for sure. I'm, once, once COVID's over, we're all going to a, to a women's game. That's, that's the plan. Okay. So moving over here uh, into the uh, Champions League draw. So we had the, the final eight teams. I think this was last Friday. Um, teams were uh, drawn to figure out the uh, quarterfinal matches. So on one side of the bracket here, we have Man City going up against Dortmund uh, and Munich going against Paris Saint-Germain. Germain, Germain. I pronounced it bad last time. We'll just go with PSG. I should have should have read it from the start like that. And then on the other side of the bracket, we have Porto going against Chelsea uh, and Real going against Liverpool. Uh, guys, your thoughts on this? Man, oh man, oh man. Chelsea could not have gotten a better draw. That, like, <laughs> this sets us up for the semi so well. Like, if you just read team names off of a sheet of paper and you ask people to rate them from a scale of who would you be most scared to play and least scared to play, Porto has to be at the bottom of the list. I mean, Juventus... Uh, just for commercial reasons, poop the bed, um, <laughs> and they they they're the ones who should who should be playing Chelsea and not Porto. I mean, 
Chelsea, you have to be happy. I mean, if you just look at the form that the team is in defensively right now, they haven't they've held uh they've they've held like 12 clean sheets and it's been it's been a, it's been an insane run coming from 10 to 4th in the Premier League. I mean, I know Porto's second in their league, but that's this is the best possible outcome you could ask for. Um it bodes well for them. I'm really interested to see how Man City performs. I mean, they're electric. They look like they're they're in form and yeah, I'm just as a Chelsea fan, you couldn't have been happier with, with the result. All I'm going to say is from, last uh, time I heard a fan base say we could not have gotten a better draw it was for Rutgers basketball and um <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to leave that thought in your head. Um so just be be careful. Don't don't, don't play lightly with Porto. That's my warning to you. You think Illichis has another uh or sorry, let me. That I'm thinking of an, another game. Do you think Orsic has another hat trick? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's Champions League time. The craziest things can happen. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. We yeah. all remember that Crazy. Ajax run uh, two years ago. So right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, but that's yeah. That's my anything can happen. Porto can Porto Fair can enough. knock off Chelsea. Chelsea's not Chelsea's not a top dog. I mean, they're they're on the way to getting back there but they can be knocked off as well so it can go either way it's not a um, heavy favorite if you were betting like Kiara was talking about earlier because I know he has better all I gotta say Evando is you better hope those uh those um rumors of Pelpulsic going back to uh the Bundesliga don't end up being reality because I mean that's the problem with Chelsea man I think unbiasedly they have the best uh youth system in the world in terms of players from the ages of 16, 20. Um, and it's just, I feel like sometimes they mismanage their young talent. Pulisic should be a a, a regular player in the starting 11. Um, he shouldn't be fighting for minutes. He's just that good. I know we invested so much into two, two German guys, but yeah, it just sucks because if he leaves, I feel like that's that's a that's a wasted investment and, and it, he wouldn't even have a chance to really show what he can do. All right, Pulisic to Bayern it is. All right, we'll see how that works out. <laughs> I know Jacob would love that. Hey, I'm I'm never going to complain, except for right now I'm going to complain a little bit. I think this this might be probably one of the worst draws I think uh, Bayern could have thought of. You know, going up against PSG, I think that was a team I, I was honestly the most scared of. Um, and I was more scared of them than than Man City. Of course, both both great teams, but more scared of PSG just because of their attacking style, the way Mbappe has been playing lately, uh, the the speed that they attack with. I I was already nervous just going in, and of course, drawing them for the the first match here in the in the quarterfinals. Like I I'm certainly a little nervous, and then of course. You know, if if we manage to get by them going up against Man City, another great team, another team that's, you know, uh, at the top of the headlines for for favorites to win. So uh, from a from a Bayern perspective, uh, definitely a little bit of bad luck. But I mean, on the on the on the flip side, there should be some really good games. And I uh, I'm going to be really excited to see him play. Yeah, I think I would say the one thing that probably describes uh, all these draws would be like a dream, right? 
I mean, these are really, really good top teams that have faced off in the finals for the last couple of years as well. Uh, we see a rematch, I be- believe, between uh, Bayern and PSG and Liverpool and uh, Real Madrid. So, and I think everywhere else besides Porto and Chelsea are probably probably pretty much even matchups any day of the week. Um, Man City probably has a little bit of an advantage over Dortmund just because they're experience, expertise, and you have Pep Guardiola. So if you mess that up, then it's all on Man City, right? And this might be like one of their best chances to to get to that that Champions League uh, fame that they've been kind of hunting for. Uh, and that's that'll be in because uh, either Liverpool or Bayern or PSG or Real Madrid, two of those teams are not making it, right? And that'll probably be their best chance. If they can get past Dortmund, they'll probably still have fresh legs to take on whoever wins. I think probably the most exciting matchup will definitely be Bayern and PSG, without a doubt. Two offensive powerhouses. Um, Their midfields are tremendous as well, probably one of the best in the world. And I think it's just going to be, you know, probably come down to Mbappe and Lewandowski. Uh, It's going to be youth versus experience. And Whoever is going to shine brighter in the spotlight is going to probably take the show. And they're going to have to show for two games, right? Again, with Champions League, you're going to have to show for two games regardless. And I think between the Liverpool and Real Madrid matchup, that's just like, you know, I would say the best way probably wouldn't be to put it this way, but they're basically the two washed up teams right now. Or, yeah, I would say two struggling teams right now. Um, And whoever wins is basically going to get a second chance at at trying to make it back to the Champions League uh, stardom. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And, obviously, like Vandy mentioned, Chelsea couldn't have gotten easier draw against Porto. But, hey, I mean, I feel like everything – Porto's got everything going for themselves in the Champions League, and I wouldn't be surprised if they get a few gifts from God in the first couple of minutes against Chelsea, and then Chelsea's on their back foot with, again – um, a very young lineup, but they're exciting to watch. So all four of these matchups are going to be very exciting, both games one and games two. I'm just going to say this about Pep Guardiola in Manchester City. Pep Guardiola was hired four years ago with the sole objective of winning the Champions League. If all we cared about was winning the Premier League and the FA Cup, we would have kept Manuel Pellegrini. We would have had kept Roberto Mancini for that matter. The reason why we hired Pep Guardiola is because he had a proven track record of, I can win a Champions League. And he's had very talented teams every year. And we still have not won the Champions League. So it's like he's got everything lined up. They've run completely riot over the rest of the Premier League. Um, they've played well in virtually every game they've played there's no excuse for them not to win the champions league anymore i'm sorry like there's none so you know i think dortmund you know they pose their own challenges i think holland is a stud um so there's always the risk that he could go off but um you know it's not like we got matched up with Bayern munich or anything like that like i think that this is a pretty reasonable draw and i think city should have no issue beating them in a two-leg tie yeah, and it's interesting you say that about Pep Guardiola, too, because I feel like this is probably the strongest squad he's had um, so far in his Man City stints with Champions League. And 
just because it's a mixture of veteran players who are probably now in their prime and a bunch of younger players who are uh, peaking into their primes. But I feel like if he doesn't do it this year, he's probably going to have a lot of backlash. But, I mean, he's going on to win the Premier League, so you can't get rid of the guy, but who knows. Yeah, it's certainly going to be something. At the very least, we know it's going to be entertaining. It's always fun to see the top teams play. I feel like, for the most part, like, you know, if you had to draw up before before we even started really going into the uh, the Champions League matches, like if you had to draw up what you think your final eight would be to get some of the, you know, best talents in all of Europe, I feel like you wouldn't end up with something that's too far off with what you got here. I feel like they have all of the, I mean, most of the storied clubs. They have a, a most of the top teams. Um, and I'm, I'm frankly, I'm really excited just to see how, how it all shakes down. So we can move on here uh, to uh, some of the matches that are happening today, this week. We've got UEFA World Cup qualifiers. They're happening. It's international time. Players are on international break. We've we spent a lot of our, our, uh, our time here, our airtime in the past couple of weeks, of course, talking about uh, club and league play. Uh, but now the players have transitioned over, uh, albeit some uh, more tough than others due to COVID restrictions and, and things along those lines. But it seems like teams are making things happen. Uh, seems like we're going to have some, some good matches where, you know, international clubs are going to be able to come out and try to set the tone going forward. Uh, you guys' thoughts on some of the international matches coming up this week? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for all the attention being paid on the UEFA qualifiers, and those are obviously important, uh, I'm interested in seeing if the United States can make it back to the Olympics for the first time since 2008. Um, you know, there's been a lot of hype about, you know, um, there was sort of a lost generation where the players who were supposed to get good from like 2010 to 2016 never really showed up. Um, and that's why United States didn't make the world cup in 2018. Um, so basically this is supposed to be the proof of concept of, okay, all these young players are developing and they're supposed to be so much better than the players they're taking over for. Um, you know, let's, let's see what they can do. Uh, and making the Olympics is a good uh, bellwether for that. Uh, so United States is playing Mexico actually right now in a group stage match. Um, let me see how they're doing. Nil-nil draw in the fifth minute. Very exciting stuff, I know. So that, that's what I'm paying attention to, at least. So, Chris, you're, you're a U.S. guy. You're not, not going to follow. U.S. and, uh, and Greece, Greece but much. the Greeks have let me down too much. I've kind of moved on from them. It's like, stop losing, stop losing to countries the size of Livingston campus and get back to me. You know, that's, that's kind of my take on that. All right, uh, Vandy. What about you? Do you have an international team you follow? Um, I think I mentioned it in my first po- uh, podcast on here. I did uh, follow the Flying Dutchman a lot. Um, now I, I guess I, I mean, being born in Jamaica, I just root for Jamaica to make it. So it would be cool to to see them get there. Um, no, I just like like players. Not there's no really te- there's no real team that I root for, but. Um, America, they do need to get to the Olympics badly. I mean, 
at this point, there's just no excuse for not being able to get there. I feel like they play in a softer qualifi uh, qualifier than some other uh, worldwide teams. So they got to get there. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to kind of think about, and, and I think it's a pretty unique style uh, as we compare to other sports with you know, players go play for their club teams for a couple of weeks and then go on international break for, you know, a week or two at a time to play these qualifier matches. And I think it's it's definitely interesting to, to think about as compared to other sports. Like, obviously, you're not going to see the same thing in, in, in football or basketball or some of the larger U.S. sports. I know we we all have some general knowledge about. So I imagine it's it's interesting for the players just to have that change of mentality, change of mindset, change of location for a couple of weeks to go and do international play, um, you know, play with different teammates than they're used to. And then, you know, obviously they, they were, we're reaching the, the last kind of stretches of some of our, uh, you know, uh, nation leagues or some of their club teams are reaching the end of their, their schedule. So they're going to be expected to come back to their clubs, ready to go full tilt and close off the season. And I, it's just, a, it's an interesting concept. And I think it's pretty unique just to, to world soccer. So cool thing for me. Yeah, I really like the format of the under 23 um, thing. Cause you can sort of see the one thing about the women's Olympic tournament um, that I don't like is it's basically like a mini world cup. Um, Cause it's basically the same teams. And it kind of devalues the Olympic tournament and it kind of devalues the World Cup in a way because you have like two tournaments. And given that there are fewer teams, um, you can make the argument that it's harder to do well in the Olympic tournament than the World Cup. But, um, um, you know, I think that this is a nice way for the World Cup and the Olympics kind of differentiate each other. The Olympics are like the, um, uh, the best of what's coming up. And they could also have three overage players. So like last Olympics, for instance, Neymar played for Brazil, even though he was over 23. Uh, Pulisic wants to play for the United States at the Olympics, but um, he doesn't know if Chelsea's going to let him. That was something that broke relatively recently. Um, as an American, I obviously want to see him there, but, you know, not up to me. Uh, Vandy can uh, reach out to uh, Chelsea and see if they can do us a solid. I mean, he doesn't play anyway, so might as well let him do it. <laughs> Assuming they're still his club in a few months. Yeah. So, but I like that. Um, they are. I, oh, Spider-Man, Chris. No, no, I was done. I was just gonna. I was gonna toss it over to Kr here. I know you got some some money riding on some various uh, World Cup games. What are What are your picks? Are Are you uh, Are you willing to disclose to our our betting fans here? I mean, right now, I have nothing, but, uh, I mean, I can look forward to the, the slate coming up. Uh, tomorrow, we've got Germany versus Iceland. Uh, that should be pr pretty uh, intriguing. Uh, I know Germany's squad have been struggling for the last couple of years, so um, they've obviously, you know, they're going to try to maneuver in a different direction with probably young stars. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do against um, what many would call a very experienced Icelandic team. Um, but we'll see how that goes too. Poland's back on the map. Um, they're also uh, facing off against Hungary tomorrow. Um, let's see who else is a good matchup. Spain and Greece. 
Chris is probably going to turn the TV off for that one. So we'll see how that one goes as well. It'll be the uh, Chris Ash Rutgers football routine. Turn on the TV, turn it off by the end of the first quarter. What about the Nunzio Campanelli? You can't forget about that. Well, I don't forget it because I was at those games. I had to, I had to uh, call it. And I, I can't turn off the channel then. So sure, sure. Good old days. Um, yes. Back when we then, could have in-person meetings and pizza at the, you know, I'm, I'm getting off a tangent, but you get the idea. Maybe one day we'll go back to normalcy, but uh, <laughs> that could be a topic for another time. Um, and then, yeah, we're going to see Italy tomorrow as well. Italy, Northern Ireland, that should be a good one. And then it's England versus San Marino. England's probably going to knock off like probably five or six goals. So uh, that should be a pretty good matchup. So we got to, I'm more interested in just looking at the games right now because, again, this is probably the one time that everybody, like you guys mentioned, are going back and forth from club play to international play. So it's going to be interesting to see how their form is, how they're connecting, how their chemistry is on the field on an international scale. Um, And obviously going right from the World Cup qualifiers to this summer, most of these teams are going to be playing in the Euros as well. So um, this could be used as a warm-up for them if if I would probably be one of the players. But, um, yeah, should be fun. I I like seeing international soccer back on the map. Um, So, yeah, just excited. No bets yet. Maybe soon. All right. Well, we'll check in with you next next episode there for, for those as well. But, yes. Lots of games coming up. Lots of excitement in the air. Uh, particular for me, particularly for me, I'm following Germany. Um, you know, changes in the air. Uh, we've said, all right, we're cutting the coach. We're finding a new one. They're still in the process, still narrowing down things. But what I'm hoping that that does to the team, I'm hoping that it changes the motivation. I'm hoping that players are going to come and be a little bit more motivated, just knowing that, you know, changes are happening. Things are restructuring. And it's not that I want, you know, huge changes, I guess, in terms of lineup or in terms of players. But I think what I want is the players to feel like, oh, you know, if, if I'm not playing at the top of my game, there's a little chance that somebody new is going to come in. He's going to have a different mindset and maybe I'm going to get some less minutes and there's going to be some reshuffling. I just, I hope that the players come out with a good mindset, come out to play competitively. Um, and maybe the, the little amount of change in the air will do it. So our, our next topic on the docket for tonight is what in the world is happening at Tottenham? So. <laughs> This is, I mean, just just a surprising, surprising story out of there. Uh, falling out of the FA, or sorry, the Europa League, uh, you know, starting up 2-0, falling out. Oh, just, just disappointing for the team. I saw that, uh, you know, since we last talked about it, I saw there was a story about how um, one of their players accidentally um, put out a Instagram post with uh, <laughs> saying job done. I think it was, I think it was Hart. I think it was their, their uh, I guess their backup keeper now. He put out a story saying job done. Uh, so that was, that was funny to see all the Tottenham fans kind of frustrated in the comments. Of course, 
he put out an apology later and he said it was just, uh, you know, a, me- a mistake with his social media manager. But just just, I think a funny story coming out of Tottenham. A mistake with our social media manager. Like that's like the new I'm um, hacked. Like, hey, man, not, not me. Social media manager did it. I had nothing to do with it. What a joke. Yeah, it is interesting because he. I, I think fans are kind of saying that, I mean, fans are understandably frustrated a little bit with that player in particular. So I think it's probably not the best, the best person to make this mistake. Um, you know, obviously, I think he had a record transfer for goalkeeper. And he's now, you know, sitting on on their bench. Uh, so, so I'm sure the fans are just like, "Oh, not, no, not with him. Come on." Yeah, and I feel like I don't know. I th- I think the whole culture of uh, you know Tottenham has shifted over this entire year or season, if you even want to call it. Um, you know, they started with one of the best, probably front threes you can get in uh, the Premier League. You know, if you're not let's say Man City or um, Liverpool, but, and they had, you know, Gareth Bale coming back home. And I don't think, I don't think things are just, you know, clicking right. And Mourinho was under a hot seat for a majority of the part because got off to a slow start and then he's got up to a little win streak and then he's, you know, losing in the Europa League. The one thing that he was kind of brought on there to do was win trophies and he's not able to, you know, do any of it or at least go in the right direction for it. Um, and to make matters worse, uh, I believe last early last week, uh, Gareth Bale said that after the season, he's going to go back to Real Madrid. So I, I saw a lot of, um, you know, players, NBA players here in the U.S. say that um, he basically used Tottenham as a D-League, went down, trained, played for a season, and now he's going back home. Uh hopefully for a better shot at winning, you know, Champions League or a league title than Tottenham has promised him or even, you know, Mourinho might have promised him before the season started, but obviously that how that all hasn't come true. So should be interesting to see how Bale leaving kind of puts Tottenham in a bit of a pickle and, and they're kind of, you know, slowly but surely becoming another laughing stock of Mourinho's failed experiments. Tottenham, 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 man. It's funny because I, I just watching uh, the last game with Bell, I was thinking, okay, he gets off the 57th minute. Is he not in shape? Is he gassed out there? What's the, what's the, what's the problem? But then today he literally had an assist in international play, so there's, there's no helmets. So what is going on? There has to be a disconnect between player and coach. Not even just in terms of Bell, but maybe the other guys. I feel like with us front, the the front three combination they have between Wingson, uh, Harry Kane, and Bell now that that has to be dangerous. There's no way they should be performing the way they're performing right now. It's just it's a terrible situation. Honestly, maybe it's a hot take, but Mourinho has to go. Yeah, you bring thought- up performance. Oh, sorry, you go, Chris. I was gonna say I always thought Mourinho was overrated. I don't know. He just never impressed me I as a like manager. He, he ran out of gas. Like, Maybe I, I think a better description would be that the game kind of passed him by. Um, huh? I feel like yeah. too often he tends to be more too conservative in terms of how he manages his teams. It's always get a goal up and then just kind of bunker and counter. Um, and, you know, I feel like that kind of style, maybe it worked more 15 years ago 
Now, not so much. Game's more about pouring on the goals, pressuring the opponent, the high press, all that stuff. Um, and that's not really his kind of game. So, yep, certainly, certainly a change in elements, certainly a change towards, you know, more fast paced play. Um, which me, selfishly as a fan, I'm, I'm pretty excited with that. I obviously love to play, love to see uh, Byron play in that same style, high pressing, looking to score goals. And I, I think it's more exciting. I think it actually has a chance to draw more fans to world soccer if they keep playing at this high level, quick, um, quick paced game, because I think it actually you know, kind of correlates to some of the things that we see in, you know, football and in the NBA here, or American football, rather, and in the NBA that we see uh, in the U.S. And I think it could draw uh, appeal to some U.S. fans to have a quicker uh, quicker style of play. Um, before we turn it over to Chris for the video of the week, um, I was just going to mention here that uh, brought up some some of the stats. We we're talking about Tottenham. Tottenham, uh, their their top duo, Harry Kane and Hongmin Son, uh, totaling 30 goals together, sitting at are tied at fifth among duos in uh, Europe's top leagues. Uh, one thing, and and obviously I have to bring this up, uh, Robert uh, Lewandowski scoring more than any duo in Europe's top league combined uh, by a matter of two goals to the next uh, pair, which is uh, Lukaku and Martinez for Inter Milan. So Robert Lewandowski having a bang up of a season. I'm really, really hoping. Uh, and he's got a good shot at breaking the Bundesliga record for goals in a season. So just a, just a little shameless Bayern plug. Any uh, any closing thoughts for us this evening, gentlemen? Excited, excited for for next week's soccer. Yes. Excited for some of the international matches. One thing I want to point out is uh, we are now less than three months away from Euro 2020. They are still calling it that, even though it got pushed back a year. So they've decided to do what we all wish we could do and pretend that last year never happened. Um, and. <laughs> They say that they want to make sure that the cities that host, there's supposed to be 12 cities across Europe. Uh, they want to make sure that they are able to have fans. They don't want to have any Euro games that are behind closed doors, which is good because, you know, seeing a Euro, uh, World Cup qualifier behind closed doors, it's like borderline unwatchable. So, you know, that's that's always good to see. Um, and, you know, if they want to ship a couple of games over to New Jersey, they're more than welcome to. <laughs> good things. Good things on the horizon. We hope to bring you even more good news about upcoming Euros in the future. And we hope you'll join us again next week. But uh, I think that's about all for us. We got Vandy, Chris, and KR in the studio, along with Jacob, myself. And uh, it's been wonderful having you. And we, we hope to see you again.